What is up, Texans fans? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter. And so glad to be with you as we prep for Indy. Indianapolis, Indiana, the Colts on Sunday, high noon up there in Lucas Oil Stadium where the Texans, surprisingly, have won three of the last four, 15, 16, and 18. That's 2015, 2016, 2018. The only loss was in 2017 when everybody was hurt on both teams. It was ridiculous. That game was just... it's one of the rare instances going to Indianapolis that I barely even remember. Everything else, combine, games there. I mean, every other game, 14, 15, 16, 18. They've all been memorable for some reason. But 17, oh, end of the year, get it over with, let's just move on. That was that one. But this one, uh, it's going to probably be like a lot like the others. Of 14, 15, 16, and 18. Just down to the final play. And that's what that's what those were. They were all coming down to the final play or a defensive stop late in the fourth quarter. The Texans have one up at Lucas Oil. But the Colts have won the last two. They beat the Texans here in December. They beat the Colts or they beat the Texans in the playoff game. And not only did they beat the Texans in the playoff game, they beat them up a little bit in that playoff game, too. They ran out of here pretty a, a pretty confident bunch, if you know what I mean. They're wearing clown masks in the NRG Stadium, uh, and it was a great day for the Colts. It was not a great day for your Texans, but hopefully that will change on Sunday. So Texans going four and two, coming off a win against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Colts, after a bye week, are also coming in off a win against the Kansas City Chiefs. But they've had some time to heal up and get ready for this one. The Texans, well, they're trying to heal up after some injuries. That took place in that Chiefs game to get ready for Jacoby Brissett and company there in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. All right, what's on the show this evening? Well, we're going to go behind enemy sidelines in our next segment with Andrew Walker, who covers the Colts for Colts.com. DP Sidhu takes care of that. Then we're going to talk to our man Dirty Red, Clint Sterner. You hear him each and every weekday on Sports Radio 610 from 2 to 6. And then our second hour, we're going to go men behind the mics with Matt Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts. And then Mark Vandermeer sticks around to talk to Andre Ware, our good friend and game analyst for your Texans. And then finally, we're going to go in the lab. Drew Doherty and myself took a deep dive into the stats we really liked in that Kansas City game. And all those stats are brought to you by AWS. And who are cream of the crop players? It might be two people you didn't expect. I'll put it that way. I, as Drew was talking... I changed my answer, and it's not Sean Watson, and it's not DeAndre Hopkins, although it very well could have been. It's two other players. You'll find out. You have to stick around to find out who our cream of the crop players were, and we have that on our podcast in the lab, which we do every single week, so go check it out wherever your fine podcasts are broadcast. Go check that out. But we are going to start today's show with some hot reads, and we're going to start with some transactions, and this gets Lengthy. <laughs> Very lengthy. Because of the injuries the Texans have suffered, it was not surprising that a lot would be going on. So, here we go. The Texans have signed a few players. They obviously had to let go a few players, or at least 
Now, they fit into all different categories. But essentially, it's additions and it's subtractions. You follow me? So, on the transaction list, in addition, the name you've heard before, Chris Clark, comes back to the Texans. He knows this offense. And with Titus Howard banged up right now, had to have somebody in there that knew what he's doing to come in as a swing tackle. Rod Johnson will stay as the right tackle. Chris Clark comes in and is a guy that can give them reps if needed. Played last year with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, but you all know, you guys all know Chris Clark. He came to the Texans in 2015, played with them 15, 16, 17, 18 with Carolina, and now he is back, the 10-year vet from Southern Miss. Also added to the active roster, and he came from the Patriots practice squad, is Dan Skipper, 6'9", 325 pounds from Arkansas, was a, I believe, three-year starter there at Arkansas. And when you see him on the field, you're like, oh, my God. He's 6'9". You just don't see 6'9 players a lot in the NFL, but you do with Dan Skipper. So, additions. Chris Clark, addition. Dan Skipper, addition. Both tackles coming in. Now, I mentioned Titus Howard being injured. I'll get to one of my uh, subtractions here in a second. But the Texans also had an addition to the practice squad. That would be Kyle Murphy. Played tackle at Stanford. He's been in the league for about four years. I want to say he was drafted by the Packers if I remember correctly. So Kyle Murphy joins the practice squad. So additions, everything, all the additions on the offensive line. Chris Clark comes in, Dan Skipper comes in to the 53-man roster for both of them, and then Kyle Murphy is added to the practice squad. Now, the subtractions start with Chantrell Henderson, who was placed on the reserve-slash-NFI, non-football injury list. People have asked me, what, what happened? What happened? I, I don't know. I have, I have no idea. I just remember seeing Chantrell on Sunday in Kansas City, and he has been uh, put on that reserve-slash-non-football injury list. The Texans have also waived the following player, Alex McGough. Quarterback was the number three quarterback. The Texans are going to carry two from now on, or for the time being, that being Deshaun Watson, A.J. McCarron. So, Alex, and, and this is the thing that's unfortunate. Because you have injuries at other positions, you have to make changes at other positions. And so Alex hadn't done anything wrong, but it just becomes a numbers game. You can only have 53. You had to bring in some linemen. You're not apparently going to put Titus Howard on IR. So to do that and keep him on the 53-man roster, you have got to he – can't, he can't play for how many weeks? Hopefully it's not a long time. We don't know for sure. But you've got to be covered. And so that's why you bring in Chris Clark. That's why you bring in Dan Skipper. But unfortunately, a guy like Alex McGough – uh, suffers because of that. He is waived from the active roster. Alex will find a spot in the NFL. I don't think there's any question about that. And also released from the practice squad to make room for Kyle Murphy is Marcus Henry. So Marcus was here probably about a week, week and a half, and he is released from the practice squad. All right, next hot read is the injury report. Now, this is not pretty, but I've seen it worse. I've seen it much worse. The DMPs today, Titus Howard with that knee, and I've seen reports of it being a sprained MCL. It's not an ACL. We, we just don't know. I, I just don't know, and I, I never like speaking on things. So I don't know. So he did not participate. That's not surprising. And Greg Mance did not with the concussion. Hopefully we can get Greg back at some point. Now, in the game on Sunday, Zach Cunningham did go out with a knee injury, but he came back. He came back in the second half. He got hit in the second quarter, I think it was, but he came back. He was a limited participant. So was Will 
deal with a calf and an oblique. DeAndre with ribs and then two hamstrings in the, at the corner position to Jonathan Joseph and Bradley Roby. Here is probably the best news that we're going to hear today, and that is Kenny Stills was a full participant in practice for your Texans. That's great because that is trending towards being ready to go on Sunday against the Colts. Now, the Colts side of things, they had five DNPs. Paris Campbell, the rookie with an ab. Pierre Desir, hamstring at corner. Malik Hooker, and he's been out for a few weeks. Now, there's been talk about him being ready to go for the Texans, that this is the game that they were gearing up to have him ready. He did not practice today dealing with that knee. And another key for the Colts, Kenny Moore, dealing with the knee injury as well. He did not participate today in practice. Taquan Lewis, uh, defense tackle, defensive end, defensive lineman, essentially. He's dealing with an ankle. Clayton Gathers was back in a limited uh, capacity. But a name you don't hear there is Darius Leonard. Gathers and Leonard have been dealing with concussions. They've been cleared from the protocol and should be ready to go on Sunday against the Texans. Hooker is the question mark, but keep an eye on Pierre Desir at one corner and then the nickel, Kenny Moore, who was a thorn in the Texans' side throughout the entire 2018 season, especially those last two games here at NRG Stadium, the one in December, and then the one in the playoff game where Kenny Moore had a key interception uh, on a fourth down play uh, in the playoff game. So those we will keep an eye on throughout the week. We'll find out on Friday who's in, who's out. We'll have that for you then. All right, let's get to our final hot read, and that is going to be a little bit of... Texans Audio Jukebox. Now, I didn't have time to make a Colts Audio Jukebox, but... I figured, you know what, Frank Rice got some juicy cuts from his press conference today. And the first one, Frank says, look, the Texans are the class of the division. They're good in all three phases of the game. I mean, you know, they're the, they're the class of the division. I mean, you know, they're, uh, they're the division champs from last year. Um, you know, good in all three phases. Um, you know, this isn't, a, this isn't a team where you say, well, hey, they're strong on O and maybe, you know, this team in all three phases is strong and there is no weakness. And they have very good personnel, um, good, good up front on both sides of the ball, um, good skill players, good coaches. Um, yeah, there's, it's not a surprise why they're in the position they're in. I know what he's thinking in his head, and that is, yeah, 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 they're a class of division. They love being the underdogs. The Colts do. The Colts love being the underdogs. They absolutely love being the underdogs. And they're playing, in some sense, an underdog at quarterback. A guy that was a third-round pick a few years ago. The Patriots, obviously, was not going to start in New England. Got traded to the Colts. Had a rough 2017 because of the talent around him. But Jacoby Brissett now has some pretty good talent around him. And Frank said, he's the real deal, though. He's what we're looking for in a quarterback and he brings a lot of leadership to the table for this offense. Yeah, I mean, what I love about Jacoby is he's the real deal. And, you know, you can't fake the kind of leadership that he brings to the table. And, you know, to be asked to come in and step in and fill the shoes of, you know, one of the league's elite players and Andrew Luck. Um, and, you know, not only on the field, but his presence as a leader. And Jacoby's one of the few guys that can do that. You know, as a leader, this guy is... He, you know, he, he just carry, he just commands the respect of the locker room because of the person that he is, because of his toughness, uh, because of his humility, um, and, and his confidence and his belief in who he is as a player. And you feel that when you're around him, and uh, our guys respond to it. I know the Colts feel very, very confident about what they have in Jacoby Brissett. I know they're very confident. 
and we'll see what happens on Sunday. Ball's going to be in his hands. Plenty. Obviously handing off a lot to Marlon Mack, but I would imagine the Texans' defense is going to make that very difficult on Mack. Reset is going to have to throw to beat the Texans. So we'll see if that confidence is warranted or not. All right, there's your Texans audio jukebox and your hot reads. Brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Let's go behind enemy sidelines and dive deeper into the Colts with Andrew Walker of Colts.com right here on Texans All Access. I am calling all Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Welcome back to the show. Texans All Access from Monday Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host. It's time to go behind enemy sidelines with DP City. This week, it is Andrew Walker who covers the Colts for Colts. Dot com. DP, take it away. It's Andrew, coming off the bye, do you feel relaxed? How are you? <laughs> I feel maybe a little bit relaxed. You know, it was um, it was good, as you guys know, to get that win on the road against the Chiefs. Um, and especially heading to our bye, though, with kind of the team facing some uncertainty as far as injuries and all that goes. To get a win like that on the road on Sunday night football and then heading to your bye week definitely created some good feelings around here in Indy. Yeah, both teams coming off wins against Kansas City. It's always nice to head into the bye week on a good note. I will get to the injuries in a bit, but let's talk about the Colts in general, the 2019 version. It's very different from the one that the Texans saw last year in the wild card game here at NRG Stadium. So uh, now with no Andrew Luck, it's Jacoby Brissett's team. How do you think expectations have changed since week one? We saw that announcement go down. People in Indianapolis obviously not very happy, but now sitting at 3-2, and two, the Colts – they look like a legitimate contender here, even with Jacoby Brissett. So how have the expectations changed for this Colts team? Yeah, I, I think around here, you know, they'd at least say, you know, obviously Andrew Luck was a franchise-type quarterback, a pro bowler, all-pro type level talent. But around here, I think they kind of said that the expectations didn't change too much as far as what to expect from the offense and the team in general. Because, I mean, Jacoby Brissett, um, was the was the guy manning the first team offense from the start of the off off season program this year through training camp in the preseason? So you know Luck was dealing with the calf and the ankle injury, and Jacoby Brissett was getting I think Frank Reich said 1,200 plus snaps um, throughout the off season training camp. So um, you know those are all starter snaps. So um, he was ready to go by the time you know this all went down, um, and and you know he's really stepped in and and you know done a great job as far as just kind of keeping things going. Um, the Colts were already going to be relying heavily or at least more on their run game heading into the season, whether or not Andrew Luck or Jacoby or or whoever was that quarterback. And that's come to fruition. The team ranks fourth in rushing. Uh, Marlon Max looked great, you know, in year three, you know, really blossomed uh, the second half of last year. And the, and the Texans saw that of course, but he's really starting to blossom even more this year. So the emphasis on the run game has really kind of made it, so that the expectations kind of stay the same. Defensively, they want to take more strides. They've had a couple good games and a couple not-so-good games, so defensively they want to keep improving. Um, but overall, I think I think everyone's pretty pleased with where things are here um, heading into Week 7. What about Jacoby Brissett through five games this season? I know the bye week is often a time for teams to sort of reflect and self-scout. What have you thought about his performance? How would you grade it through the first uh, five games of the season. That Kansas City game, the numbers weren't as flashy as some of his other as some of his other games. But what sort of progress have you seen from Brissett? Yeah, he just he just hasn't flinched, and that's just his. That's just him. Jacoby's just a 
kind of a cool dude. He doesn't doesn't overreact. He doesn't underreact. But he's he's definitely even last year as the backup. He's he's a team leader, and that's definitely carried over into this year. Um, I think he's the type of quarterback that's proven he's going to play winning football for you. He's not going to he's not going to have the crucial crucial turnovers. Um, you know, you know, every week that, you know, some, you know, lesser quarterbacks might have. Um, and I think he's proven this year, especially week one against the Chargers, where he led a uh, overtime uh, forcing uh, drive. Uh, and then week two against the Titans, where he led a game winning drive. Um, he also can make some plays to win you some games. So, um, so, you know, while he's not going to be throwing, you know, every week for, you know, 40 times, 45 times a game, um, he's, he's a really solid option as far as, you know, get running the offense, getting the ball in the running back's hands, getting the, the team in the right situations, And then I think he's really starting to, to improve as far as when to pick and choose going down the field. And that's something that they'll keep working on here moving forward. Obviously, the, the one player that pretty much every Texans fan hates, uh, T.Y. Hilton, saw that he was dealing with some injury and came back against Kansas City. That wide, wide receiver core has been pretty banged up this season. What can you tell us about them and, and the rookie, Paris Campbell, how they've looked so far, how their chemistry's been, and what, they, what they're dealing with health-wise? Yeah, really, you know, the health has kind of been the, the story so far because Devin Funches was the big free agent acquisition to kind of be the number two for T.Y. Hilton this year, and, and the Colts have never really had – they've had some guys in there at the number two, but never a consistent guy that, that really takes the heat off T.Y. Hilton. Um, and Devin Funches was a guy brought in from Carolina – 6'4", 225, thought to be that guy, still can be that guy, but he suffered a clavicle injury week one against the Chargers, um, was put on IR, and although he can return to practice, start to return to practice maybe next week and can play as early as week 11, um, the team's really kind of had, you know, Deion Kane, you mentioned Paris Campbell, uh, Chester Rogers, Zach Paschal, guys like that kind of fill in um, as far as getting the snaps, but no one's really kind of taken over that number two receiver role yet as far as just kind of making the plays and Paris Campbell, I mean, so speedy, so fast coming out of Ohio state, but unfortunately um, against the Oakland Raiders week four suffered an abdominal injury and he had a little procedure. So he might be more of a week to week type deal. Um, and so the team's kind of relied even more on Deion Kane, Chester Rogers, Zach Paschal to kind of fill in, but T.Y. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, you know, start off, great start once again and, and I'm sure he's looking forward to taking on Houston seeing what they throw at him this time around yeah and you mentioned Marlon Matt getting so much work uh, the workload that he's had has been tremendous 101 carries for 470 yards two touchdowns I was going to ask if you thought he was running the ball more because Brissett's under center you seem to think that's just the direction Frank Reich was going but do you foresee Frank Reich just limiting or decreasing his workload at any point it seems like he, he's out there getting a lot of carries every week yeah that you know that would certainly you know in today's nfl you would think that that might be the case you know maybe early you lean on your workhorse running back and then kind of over the season as you start to kind of work out your offense maybe you you kind of let off the gas a little bit but i i don't see marlon max slowing down anytime soon um he's a guy that his first couple years now he played he played all 16 games his rookie year, but he was dealing with a shoulder injury the whole year. And then last year he was limited in the first five to six weeks with a hamstring injury before really taking off. So he, this is really his first full off season and season of just being completely uh, injury free other than the normal, you know, nicks and bruises. Um, and, and he's really taken advantage of, it. he looks great. 
Frank Wright said, you know, I think he's getting stronger with every week. And I think that showed against the Chiefs down the stretch where it looked like 1940s footballs. They were just handing the ball off, um, you know, play after play after play. And I'm sure the, the Texans found that similar um, recipe to be successful against the Chiefs too, where, hey, let's, you know, we're not intentionally keeping playing keep away, but it is nice to keep Patrick Mahomes on that sideline. And when, when you can out, possess the ball from for about a more than a whole quarter than the Chiefs and you're really doing it right I think so both the Chiefs and Texans had success with that and Marlon Mack for the Colts was a big part of that um, and he's a guy that is on pace like you said 300 carries uh, you know 1500 yards and whether that comes to fruition or not is one thing but I think this team really is going to be relying on him um, just as much down the stretch as, as they are right now. Yeah, I think another big point of the, of that win in, in Kansas City was just that defensive performance the Colts put up, especially with so many of their stars on defense out for that game. Uh, they were missing some key leaders and their captains as well. Who's trending up? Who's still on the mend heading into Sunday's game against the Texans as far as Darius Leonard, Malik Hooker, and, and all those players? Yeah, so it seems like so both Darius Leonard and Clayton Gathers, the safety, um, uh, both cleared the concussion protocol, and um, Gathers had missed one game, um, and and Leonard had missed three, and and we all know what a big piece he is to the Colts defense. Obviously, all uh, you know, first team All Pro, defensive rookie of the year last year. So seems like they'll get both those guys back in the mix this week, as far as we know right now. Um, as far as Malik Hooker is concerned, we'll see. It's kind of more day to day at this point. Uh, he suffered a knee injury. Um, and, you know, he was kind of a week-to-week guy. Now he's kind of slowly getting back in the fold. We'll see if he can, if you know, if he'll be questionable or, or out, or we'll see later this week. Um, but, but at, you know, when you, when you head into a game against the Chiefs and you don't have both your starting safeties and you're playing really young guys in the secondary and then Darius Leonard being out forces you to kind of shuffle things up at linebacker, um, you know, it's, it's easy for outsiders to kind of look at that as, you know, uh oh, you know, that's not good against the Chiefs, but, you know, credit to Matt Eberflus and this Colts defense for stepping up and playing the way they did. Now, even considering the fact Leonard and Gathers might be back, you have to do it all over again against Deshaun Watson. We all know how tough he is and how well he, he does, especially kind of escaping the pocket and making plays on his own. So um, they're going to have to do it all over again. That's easier said than done. Andrew, I think one of the interesting storylines early on in the season was Adam Vinatieri and, and his missed kicks. It seemed like at one point he was going to retire uh, and just call it a career, which I think everybody could understand if he did so. But then uh, Frank Reich convinces him to stay on for a few more games, and he's coming off a game where he made four out of four field goals in week five at Kansas City. How did Vinatieri turn things around for his game? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if it was necessarily a thing where he was you know, he's 46 years old. This is his fourth year in the league. Obviously, retirement's going to come. You'd think at some point, and, and we all hope it doesn't come soon, but, you know, those are the facts. I don't know if he was necessarily considering it. I think he was just kind of down that he was, you know, um, playing so poorly and the games were coming down to those points um, early on. So, um, but I think the fact that he was, he's been so solid in practice. Um, he never really, you know, slowed down in practice. He's, he's actually kicking the ball better now in practice, Frank Reich said, than he was at any point last year. Um, and, and there's so many things nowadays to track as far as, you know, kicking speed off, off the foot, trajectory, all that stuff. And, and he's doing even better now than he was last year. So um, I think it was just one of those things where 
they wanted to give this guy a chance to right the ship. Um, they were confident that it was just kind of a, a slump, if you will, and, and he was going to break out of it, and he's done a good job um, just quietly coming back and being the solid kicker that he's been uh, the, you know, the first 23 years of his career. And, and now, uh, now he's back to being Vinny, being the GOAT, and, and that's exactly what the team needs from him. All right, good stuff, Andrew Walker. One important question before I let you go. Roof open or closed at Lucas Oil on Sunday? <laughs> you know what? Uh, my, my best bet is always closed, especially as we get into the, 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 you know, the colder months, I guess. Um, but, you know, you never know if, if it's going to be sunny and I don't want to, you know, 50, 60 degrees, there's always a good chance it could be open. But um, I do know that, that certain players enjoy it being closed more than than open and we'll see if maybe they can sway the decision uh for Jim Irsay when when it comes down to that yeah I remember for many many years we were playing in December then last year was really the first year that we were there during uh, earlier in the season the roof was open and I had not noticed how many shadows there are on the field yeah when it is open it's tricky it's a different dynamic for sure and uh you know you go back and look at the pictures or you look at the the game film and it's like there's certain parts of the, the field that just all of a sudden are bright out of nowhere. So it, it definitely adds a dynamic and um, it's cool to have the roof, but I, I'm sure now, um, you know, the Colts have always been a dome team. We all know that. So, um, so I'm sure here as we get in the later months, um, you know, that thing will be closed obviously a lot more frequently. Great stuff there from Andrew Walker of Colts.com. All right, we get back. It's time for Dirty Red. Clint Sterner to stop by and give his thoughts on what he saw against Kansas City Chiefs, what he saw from Deshaun Watson, and this offense next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. And it is my favorite time of the week because it is my time. And I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for you Houston Texans. We're talking to my good friend. You hear him on Sports Radio 610 from 2 to 6. You hear him on a post-game show. Arkansas Razorbacks fans, you heard him for a long time. And he is wonderful. He's a good friend of ours. And it is Clint Sterner. Clint, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Man, I'm doing good. It's, it's another good week in Houston to be covering this football team. Ain't it, baby? Get, get a big-time victory and uh, and on to the next. It, it, it's a good time to be alive in the city of Houston in the media business, man. Yeah, I, I tell you that. I mean, game three last night, the win, the Astros, what they're doing. I, I'm, You know, Clint, I'm just glad the Texans are holding up their end of the bargain. I remember 2017, we went to Seattle, we played our guts out, but we ended up losing that game, and then that night was game five of the World Series. And the Astros have an all-timer win in extra innings over the Dodgers. I was just glad the Texans were able to hold up their end of the bargain. And, Clint, from that perspective, going into that building against that quarterback, what does a win like that mean? I mean, you've been around it a long time in college and the NFL. What can a win like that mean to your team to say, hey, wait a second, maybe we are that good that people have talked about or maybe not talking about? What does a win like that do for a team, you think? Just the win in general relative to being versus a, a top-tier AFC team and a former MVP on the road at one of the toughest places to play. I mean, that that is a huge win for an organization, period. It's, it's one of those where you go, okay, now we know. I don't, I don't know if arrived is the right term, but, but I'll use it. That now you've arrived uh, on the scene as one of the, one of the top – Ten teams in this league because you know you're explosive. You know you can you can score points. You know you've got a, a, a solid defense, but you just haven't gone on the road and beat a really good football team uh, at the right time. And, and and I think all those things um, wrapped into one 
happened this weekend. The Houston Texans went on the road and beat an established, very, very good organization uh, at a time when, quite frankly, they needed the win in a big-time, big-time way, knowing that they're going to Indy. Uh, John, you, you take it one step further, though, and you go, you just beat the 2018 MVP, the leading MVP candidate for 2019, one of the best play callers in the business, last year's runner-up in the AFC, and you dropped four touchdown passes. You had some, <laughs> some tough penalties to swallow. Yeah. You had another slow start. You shot yourself in the foot multiple times, and you still won convincingly. You still controlled the clock. You, you did some amazing things versus some of the best in the league, um, and you shot yourself in the foot several times. So big win. A lot of improvement can be made. So how good can this franchise really be at this point? That's a great question, and I – would hope that going into week seven, they start to realize that as they go face the Annapolis Colts. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, Clint, the offense the last couple of weeks, I felt like what we saw against Kansas City, now there were some deep shots, and you said it. There, you know, Guys aren't able to hang on down the field. It would have been tough catches in some sense. Now, DeAndre's would not have been. That would have been a walking touchdown. I'm still in shock at that one. But they did have the opportunity to score a lot of points, but it felt like they were doing it a different way. They were using a lot of RPO game against the Chiefs, uh, whereas the Falcons, the deep shots, obviously were were coming to fruition. The fact that they showed a number of different things against the Falcons and then had a number of different things ready for the Chiefs, Clint, what do you think that says about this offense in having to prepare to face this offense down the road for opposing defenses like the Colts, the Raiders, the Jags, etc., that they're pulling out some different things that they haven't shown thus far this year? Look, I, I think it's it's absolutely beautiful. It, it's all about it's all about how difficult can can this offense make it on opposing defensive coordinators and and defensive units, right? And in the past, they, they've always been able since DeAndre Hopkins um, and Deshaun Watson have been together. They've always struck fear in in defensive units and defensive coordinators relative to the shot plays and being able to score from anywhere on the field at any point in time, but there was nothing in between. It was all or none. It, it was sink or swim. It was penthouse or outhouse. There was nothing in between. And and so now after the last two weeks, you look at just, I call it creative quicks, whether it's, whether it's RPOs and hit the tight end of the flats or it's an RPO and hit the Will Fuller or, or Hopkins out in the slot um, or it's hand. They, they, it's very creative. And now that defense has to prepare for a, a wide, wide range, a, a variety of, of offensive schemes coming at them. And, and on the flip side of it, it's, it's very efficient. It's very the, 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 the difficulty, the degree of difficulty to execute is very low for the Texans. And so, look, man, it's, it's one of those where, to me, it's absolutely beautiful to see. Just, just think in the sense, John, of, of – DeAndre Hopkins, that guy, no doubt, one of, if not the best receiver in the league, one of, if not the best deep threat in the league, and now all of a sudden he has a nine-catch game for 55 yards where he converts multiple third and shorts to yep. fourth and shorts. That is – now you've got, hands down, the best receiver in the league because Bill O'Brien is using him in multiple ways. Just that guy alone is ten more, tenfold more difficult to prepare for right now 
than he was two weeks ago. And that's the, that's the case for the offense as a whole as well. Clint, I don't know exactly what you thought about when the Texans signed Darren Fells after he was a cap casualty in Cleveland. But I know when Kahale Waring was drafted, we looked at the tight end group and went, boy, this is a pretty, pretty good tight end group. But what about this Darren Fells character? Oh, he's kind of a left-left tackle or right-right tackle. They'll use him for pass protection, and they'll use him for run blocking. He does those kind of things. Clint, the tight ends have been instrumental in this offense in a number of different ways. And there's a time in which Jordan Thomas and or Kyle Waring could be coming back sometime soon from the injuries that they sustained in the preseason. You had an opportunity to play for the Dallas Cowboys and one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tight end of all time, Jason Witten, was there. When you have an outlet like Jason Witten and you have outlets that are playing now like Darren Fells and Jordan Akins, what does that do when the interior passing game can be as efficient as it's been the last few weeks? Oh, well, the, the tight end's ability to complement and be used as a one-off from the run game is what's, is what's really special. Just talking about that position, you know, you can't take your eye off of him in the run game because he'll double up to the backer level or, or he'll, he'll, he'll reach the edge, the edge defender and hook him, and then the, the run gets outside. And, so, and, and then on the flip side of that, you also can't, take him for granted in the pass game because he'll hurt you on third downs at the very least. And so you're talking about a very crafty guy that I don't think we knew, and Darren Fells specifically, I don't think we knew how crafty he is. But, you know, when you ask me that question, John, I immediately think, I mean, I immediately go to the way that Bill O'Brien's using him, the way that Tim Kelly's using him. Think about this week how many times you saw him slip the defensive end and get into the flats yeah. on that little RPO play. Yep. And when I see that, when I see that, you know what I think of? I think of a big man in basketball screening and rolling to the bucket. <laughs> yep. Right? And yeah. and when I when I see him catch that ball last week against Atlanta in the back of the end zone and hold it up over his head, <laughs> I think about a big man in basketball using his body to rebound or or using his body to, to catch a, a pass in the paint and, and two-hand jam it that they're using him in a very unique way that I think is, is obviously it, it highlights his talent specifically. It's not just randomly let's use this tight end. What does this guy do well? He slips guys. He's elusive. He can high point the ball. A lot of basketball terminology there. And you see that working on the football field for Darren Fells. I love the way this, the staff has used him the last two weeks. And for any of you kids out there thinking about specialization, Keep in mind that these two tight ends both were professionals in other sports before they got into football. Jordan Akins uh, was in the minor leagues uh, playing baseball, and Darren Fells played basketball professional overseas before he came back here to play college football and get ready for the NFL. Clint, flip over to the other side of the ball. Patrick Mahomes lights up everybody. He did not light up the Colts, but a lot of that had to do with some of the injuries they suffered. They did not have Tyreek in that game. They did not have Sammy Watkins. Uh, a lineman went down. The guard that went in was not very good. Then Mahomes was hurt himself. But the defense, I, I mean, after the first quarter where they were putting a, I mean, say putting a bad spot, but they gave up two 90-yard drives. Overall, Clint, it felt like, as I'm sitting and watching the game, the defense did a pretty good job. Then you see the numbers and you go, wow, they actually did a little bit better than I thought. Now, 40 minutes of time of possession will do that for you. But it felt like the defense, even without Bradley Roby and Jonathan Joseph, now, I say that, but I know you don't want to go without them for a long time. You may have to with Roby for a little bit, but we'll see. But even without those two guys, it felt like the defense played a very consistent ball game against Patrick Mahomes. What do you think about the way that unit played, Clint? 
Well, I mean, you can't you can't argue giving up 41 passing yards in the second half to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there's we don't we don't need to dress that one up to make it look pretty. Now, yeah. there ain't no doubt about it. And and, and the, the time of possession, we didn't talk about it when we were on the offensive side of the ball, but but their ability to possess the ball and 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 literally um, allow Kansas City to have the ball just a little over 20 minutes. That's the best since they started recording time of possession in 1977 for a home team to be limited to 20. 20 minutes of, of, of uh, time of possession. It's crazy, man, to think about what the game plan allowed them to do. But the defensive side of the ball, man, um, you, you, when you play Kansas City, it, it's all about keeping them from getting in rhythm and keeping them from gash plays. They had two big plays. One of them was an illegal pick. One of them was an offside, which, by the way, if you watch the film, Tyreek uh, Hill flinched on that play. That should have been an offensive uh, penalty instead of a touchdown, um, but but those you take those two plays out of it, and Kansas City was locked down, not shut down, locked down, and so there's no doubt about it, man. What this defense was able to do, and I think this is a week where you go, the scheme was huge, the the bend don't break, the the eliminate the gas plays, the the, the get off the field on, on when you get them in in third down situations where you can make a play, go make that play and get off the field. I think the scheme. Um, once again, was was big to to help overcome the second half injuries, uh, but really just sustain the lead that they had and get out of there with a victory, man. Clint Jalen Ramsey traded to the L.A. Rams, and I, I'll be curious to see how his back is feeling this week uh, after missing the last few weeks with a <laughs> with, with a back injury. Uh, I'm sure after being traded for two first rounders and a fourth rounder. Uh, that back will get healthy very, very quickly. But he moves out of the division. So you've got the Jags with no Nick Foles, now Gardner Minshew, and no Jalen Ramsey. You've got the Colts without Andrew Luck. You've got the Titans now making a change with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. This game on Sunday for the Texans becomes huge. I think the Colts are a lot better than people think, even without Andrew Luck. I think Jacoby Brissett is not Andrew Luck, but that run game is legit. But in the division, it just feels like there's so many things, you know, kind of going on. If the Texans can just stay the course in what they're doing, get better every week, they can put themselves really where they want to be. But let's go back to the Ramsey thing. What do you make of him being traded out to L.A. and playing for the Rams? I, I don't know that I agree with it for the Rams' sake and what they're giving up, considering it's more the old line that's the issue for them than it is the DBs. But Ramsey goes to L.A. What do you think about that move? Yeah, look, it's great for the Texans that he's leaving the division, no doubt. But, but John, I'm, I'm opposite of you, man. I, I, I'm okay with giving up the, that kind of draft capital. I, I know it's a steep price, but, man, when it's a Laramie Tunsil left tackle yeah. or a lockdown corner, I mean, those guys change your not just your organization, but those guys change your entire approach. I mean, they affect the play caller, the quarterback, the run game, the pass game. And then the, the, from, a, from a corner standpoint, when it's the best in the league, I mean, that guy literally, what, what a, a lockdown corner allows uh, the rest, the other 10 guys on the field to do, whether it's now that safety can shade over the top of a, a different corner that's struggling. Now they can bring a ton more pressure more often because they're not worried about that corner getting beat deep. Now if DeAndre Hopkins comes in there, all of a sudden you've got a guy that you can lock down DeAndre Hopkins and follow him around wherever he goes. Now Hop may still get off, but over four quarters, you're not concerned about DeAndre Hopkins beating you because you, you've got confidence in your cornerback. So that when, when it's that when it's that caliber player, quarterback, tackle, or or cornerback, for me, 
two first-rounders, I'm giving up all day long. And I know it's a steep price, but, but boy, the really, really good guys at those three positions, they don't fall off the old tree very often. If I get, if I get, uh, if I get lucky and can go get one, I'm going and getting him, baby. But good for the Texans. I'm glad he's out of the division, and it gives the Texans that, that much more uh, of a reason to win this thing and, and run away with the division if they can win this week. Now, brother, you and I agree on that. I, don't, I still don't think the Texans gave up too much in the Laramie Tunsil deal. Um, I, I just felt like the Rams needed help on the offensive line. Like, if the Rams could have gotten the Laramie Tunsil deal, that would have helped them tremendously because that offensive line has been hot garbage for them. But Ramsey right. steps right in for Marcus Peters, and I know Peters wasn't playing all that well. I just feel like the Rams had other issues. For the Texans, I felt like tackle was a major issue, and they addressed it. And you know what's interesting? You don't hear a lot of people talking about that Laramie Tunsil deal anymore. It's just, you know, Laramie's part of a really good offensive line, and to me, I think Laramie's become one of the best, if not the best, left tackles in the league, and he's really solidified <laughs> that group up front. But it's funny because you don't hear – any of that anymore like oh Bill O'Brien and Texans gave up too much you don't hear that anymore you just hear what zero sacks for two straight weeks so yeah you're right though and it's funny Clint you say that because when people ask me this summer they're like who you know who would you give up multiple picks for and Jalen Ramsey was at the forefront like yeah I'll give it up for Jalen Ramsey I know he talks I know he's uh he's loud he's arrogant he's cocky whatever you want to say but he is locked down in a league that really doesn't have a bunch of lockdown corners. I mean, Clint, we've gone, you know, to such a passing league, and there are some good corners, but there – and I know Deion Sanders was a different dude, but there are no Deion Sanders out there. There aren't guys that just lock down one half of the field. Jalen Ramsey does that. I mean, he's a rare dude in this game. John, think about it like this, man. And I love the guys the Texans have, no doubt about it. I'm really, really high on Bradley Roby. I hate that I'm not going to get to see him against T.Y. Hilton this week. But, but think about this. If the Texans had a Jalen Ramsey, right, and you go into the Indianapolis game with the way that this team can play defense versus a run, and you go, okay, now you've got Ramsey, let's lock him up wherever Hilton goes. Yep. Think about what that does for this secondary and the defense and the safeties and rack the play caller. I mean, that in itself is a very simple example of how powerful that caliber player can, can be uh, on the field on Sundays and, and, and the impact he immediately has. I mean, it's just an absolute game changer, you know. And again, I was looking forward to seeing Roby maybe be that guy this week, um, but but with that injury, we're not going to get to see it. But but it would it would uh, it would be a game changer for sure, man. If you had that kind of guy, so two first round draft picks for Jalen Ramsey. I'm signing that check all day, every day, and he's got another year left on his contract too. Everybody thought because he backed the the Brinks truck up uh, in training camp that that he was out of contract. He's got 19 and 20 where you're getting him for the rest of this year and next year for roughly $15 million, maybe a little more than $15 million. Um, that's a bargain, you know, relative to, to, to what he's going to make. That's a, that's a bargain. So it uh, wasn't a bad deal for, for uh, L.A. at all. I'm just glad he's out of the division. And when uh, the next time Jacksonville and the Titans face each other, uh, they won't have to worry about the best corner <laughs> in the game. Uh, man to man with Hopkins again. Yeah, no doubt. Clint Stern, you can hear him two to six on Sports Radio six ten. You can hear him on our post game show. Arkansas Razorback fans, you can hear him breaking down Razorback football. Clint, you're the best, my man. Thank you so much, brother. We'll talk to you next week. You got it, John. See you, man. Take care. I say this every week, and I mean it every week. Love talking ball with that man right there, Clint Stern. Okay, we get back. It's time to go behind the mics in this one. Good friend Matt Taylor. Of the Indianapolis Colts will join our voice of the Texas, Mark Vandermeer, right here on Texas All Access. 
We are kicking off the second hour of the show. Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And Sunday, I will join Andre Ware and the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, in Indianapolis for a big one against the Indianapolis Colts. The man calling the action for the Colts is in his second year with the Colts, a guy that we've gotten to know and gotten to know very well, and he is excellent in his job. He is one of the most wonderful men you're ever going to meet. I hate that he is a rival, but he is fantastic. Let's go behind the mics, the men behind the mics. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts with our voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Matt, the bye week behind you now, right back into game week, and what was the reaction to the victory over Kansas City for the Colts? It was huge. I mean, it was huge, especially considering the Colts arguably let one slip away the week before against the Oakland Raiders at home. Uh, They didn't play well. It was kind of an uncharacteristic game on a lot of different levels, so to be able to come back and, and play, you know, one of the best teams in the AFC in their home field or on their home field on Sunday night football in primetime and just dominate them up front the way they did, uh, I thought it was a big tone setter. It was really just the, the exact same game plan uh, that the Texans used you know, a couple days ago to knock off the Chiefs. So ball control and dominating the game up front was the blueprint, and uh, the Colts are built to, to win that way. So are the Texans, so that's that's really what makes this game so compelling on Sunday. You have two heavyweights, and I just can't wait to get it going. It's going to be something. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts with us. Is Marlon Mack maybe the, quote, star of the offense? Dare I say that? How do you look at that kind of thing? Who's on the marquee for the Colts offense? I would say it's two guys. I would say two guys kind of split the, the headliner, if you will. That would be T.Y. Hilton and then Marlon Mack, and then if, if there's enough room on the on the marquee, I would put all five guys up front on the uh, on the offensive line because, I mean, knock on wood, if you're a Colts fan, all five of those guys up front have played every single snap uh, this season. They're the only offensive line in the NFL that can say that. And, um, you know, this was the unit last year that, that paved the way for a couple of 200-yard rushing performances and uh, multiple 100-yard games for Marlon Mack and, they all uh, got re-signed and uh, stuck around the off season, and uh, they've been healthy this entire 2019 campaign. And you know that's how that's how the Colts want to win. That's their identity right now. They are. It, it's really kind of bizarro world for Colts fans that have been following this team for the last you know 15, 20 years. They're so used to seeing you know Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck throw the ball for you know 350 yards per game. Um, they're just used to seeing, you know, the Colts be top five in passing and near the bottom in rushing. And uh, this year under Frank Reich, it's it's completely the opposite. You know, they're a top five rushing team near the bottom in the NFL and passing and yards per attempt and all that stuff in terms of, of throwing the ball. Um, so the, the Colts definitely have a, a blue-collar identity. They're going to stick with the run. They're going to run the ball. They've got a great offensive line. And uh, Marlon Mack is proving to be one of the best running backs in the NFL in terms of his vision, his patience running the football. He's a great pass protector. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. So as far as that part of their offense is concerned, um, they're loaded. And Jacoby Brissett can throw the ball too. You know, we saw him throw over 300 yards one time this season. Uh, He just hasn't been asked to do that because the rushing attack has been so consistent. Colts voice Matt Taylor joining us on Texans Radio. Jacoby Brissett, what's he doing better? What is his game like at this stage of his career, Matt? So Jacoby Brissett, as of right now, is a really good decision maker. You know, he only has three picks. He's he's made a couple of bad decisions. He's had a few hiccups uh, where he's turned the ball inside the red zone a time or two. But for the most part, I mean, three picks, 
through five games, you can definitely uh, live with that. Uh, completing uh, a much higher uh, percentage of his passes now compared to when he was the full-time starter in 2017 with the Colts. I think he's over 65% completion percentage. And I think something, too, that that gets taken for granted that's not going to show up in the box score is he's just very elusive uh, in the pocket. He's a big guy. You just forget how big he is. He's six foot four, you know, 225, 230 pounds. He's a hard guy to bring down. There's been multiple cases this year where it looks like he's going to be sacked. He's dead to rights. And then somehow he shows off that strength and that, that brute force that he has uh, to, to evade a sack and, and get rid of the football and escape the pocket. Uh, he's got a lot of Ben Roethlisberger in him in, in that regard. So he's getting better every game, um, but he's just he's just making really good decisions, and um, he's been really good in the red zone as well. I think he leads the NFL in red zone touchdown passes uh, with with nine of his ten coming inside the twenty yard line. So he's he's done a very good job managing this offense, putting it in really good situations, changing the play at the line of scrimmage. I think that's the biggest thing from 2017 to now is his mastery of this offense has really taken off because he's had essentially two full years and almost two off seasons as the starting quarterback because of Andrew Luck's injuries um, and, and, you know, some of those questionable things going into the uh, going into seasons. And of course, Andrew Luck deciding to retire about two weeks before this season started. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts with us on Texans Radio. What about the defense? Because when you beat the Chiefs, there I'm looking at it with no Darius Leonard, Clayton Gathers, Malik Hooker, yet you put together that kind of performance with only 13 points allowed in that game on the road. What's the Colts defense doing well? What are they like? Well, in that game against the Chiefs, they really veered away from who they were in the secondary in terms of a tactic, you know. Under Matt Eberflus, they play a 4-3 defense. It's mostly kind of zone coverage. And teams have been kind of taking advantage of that with a high completion percentage. And they changed it up against Kansas City where they played over 70% press man, man-to-man coverage. They got in the face of wide receivers. They really disrupted Travis Kelsey just like the Texans did. So I think that was the biggest difference. Um, and like you said, without uh, Darius Leonard, without Clayton Gathers, both of those guys should be back on the field this weekend. Um, they've really gotten a lot of good play from their younger players, guys like Kari Willis, who's a rookie, George Odom, who's a second-year safety. Uh, those guys stepped up big time against the Chiefs, and uh, they've gotten some good, consistent play up front. Now, the biggest thing for me in my mind is their pass rush without Kamoko Toure. He's now on IR because of an ankle. He got hurt in the Chiefs game, so it's kind of next man up in that regard. Who do the Colts turn to? You know, Jabal Sheard is – Slowly but surely getting back to full health. He missed a lot of time dating back to training camp. So where is he at? Uh, will they rely more on al Muhammad? Another thing they could do is they could move Taekwon Lewis from an interior player to an outside edge setter, uh, which is what he did in college at Ohio State. But he's been banged up, and they haven't – They don't. I don't think they really want to do that because they see him more long-term inside. So we'll see if they get in the pinch and have to go that route. But – yeah, definitely taking advantage of uh, this Titus Howard situation for the Colts is something they want to look to because the Texans have been really good at bad pass protection the last two weeks. As you guys know, no sacks in the last two ball games for Deshaun Watson. He's made you know opposing defenses pay. So the Colts want to get a more consistent pass rush um, in this game. And they've been good at times up front, but there's also been a, a handful of times where 
you know, the, the, the well has gone dry in terms of, you know, winning their one-on-one matchups up front and uh, disrupting the opposing quarterback. So I think for the Colts, that's going to be paramount on uh, getting after Deshaun Watson and getting him off his timing a little bit because we've seen uh, this, this rhythm in this quick passing game for the Texans take over in the last couple of ball games. Matt Taylor, voice of the Indianapolis Colts, joining us on Texans Radio. Okay, so the Texans play the Raiders next. Coaches can't look ahead, but we can. Give me the scouting report on the Raiders, a team that did beat Indy in Indy. What do you think? Well, in that game, I was really impressed with Josh Jacobs, you know, the rookie out of Alabama. He really ran the ball hard, ran it well, effectively. I think they ran for 188 yards on the Colts in that game. And that was the biggest problem. The Colts got down early. And they just could never get back because they were on the field defensively a ton because the, the Raiders running game was just working so well. Um, when I look back to that game offensively, also, I mean, Eric Carr has one of the quickest triggers in the NFL is getting rid of the football in about 2.4 seconds. So that negated a lot of the Colts pass rush in that game. Uh, defensively, they played very well against the Colts in, in the running game. I talked about the consistency the Colts have had. The one outlier as far as rushing the ball for Indianapolis was that Raiders game. Their front seven really did a nice job. They came down and they stacked the box with Paul Gunther, uh, the defensive coordinator. He was dedicated an extra person up front to make sure the Colts couldn't dictate things up front. That meant Jacoby Brissett had to drop back to throw more times than he would have liked. So it was just kind of a bad day for the Colts. They had um, a turnover in the red zone that game. They had a bunch of drops. They just got down early, and uh, going into that game, the Raiders were kind of – a lot of people thought, you know, oh, they're just left for dead, plus they, you know, they, get, they play the next week in London, so they're looking past the Colts, and that just wasn't the case at all. So they've kind of turned their season around um, after a slow start, a one-and-two start, and they got a jump started again against the Colts. And uh, they're a pretty they, – they are they're a darn good football team. Um, their record didn't show it at the time, but they came in and they gave the Colts a really bad taste. And uh, But like I said, the Colts did a nice job of bouncing back the week after and um, knocking off the Chiefs. You just hope for the Colts' sake that we don't get into a uh, week 13, 14, 15 scenario and you look back to a week three game or week four game against the Raiders and say, yeah, what if, what, what could have been, how we not let that one slip away. Yeah, the Texans are hoping that uh, Carolina won't turn out that way for them as far as mm-hmm. common opponents go or anything like that. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts with us. All right, one more for you. You beat the Titans – in Nashville, and they're a hard team to figure. One week pretty good, the next week not so much, and they're just coming off a loss to Denver. A lot of questions about them. What do you make of Tennessee? And maybe I'll throw in Jacksonville, too, even though you haven't faced them. Yeah, for me, Mark, I mean, for my money right now, and this is just me talking, I don't know how you feel, but I think it's a two-horse race right now. I think both of those teams are done um, as far as really contending for the AFC South. I mean, when you don't have – an idea of what your franchise quarterback situation is going to be there in Tennessee. I just, I, I just think that sends a bad message and uh, it kind of permeates into the rest of the team and the rest of the locker room. Same thing with Jacksonville right now. I know Foles is eventually going to come back, but I think the Gardner Minshew honeymoon is over. He's kind of limited. Their offense is limited with what they can do. Um, so I think long-term, I, I just think it's the Colts and the Texans and we're just going to have two epic matchups. Um, you know, of course, starting Sunday and then in about a month or so down in Houston, uh, I don't think it's hyperbole. I think these two games are going to directly decide who wins the AFC South because I, I just don't see I don't see Tennessee or Jacksonville getting their act together enough to the point where they can contend 
with either of these teams. So, you know, we're going to have, uh, you know, typically in the past we've always had, you know, a December matchup between these two squads, and it's, it's you know, the, the, the de facto AFC South championship game. I think we're going to have two of those this year starting on Sunday, and this is – this is a massive. Um, this is a massive game on Sunday. I, you know this, I'm sure. I looked it up the other day. Nine of the last ten AFC South uh, championships have been won by either the Colts and the Texans. I don't think that's going to change this year. Oh yeah, it's a tremendous matchup, and everybody's going nuts here about the win over Kansas City, as I'm sure they are in Indy about your win over Kansas City. But it's all about Sunday with this divisional game, Matt. One more for you. I lied when I said one more before. The Indianapolis vibe, the fan base, when Andrew Luck retires, I know that's got to be devastating news for everybody, but here is the team doing well. Were the fans surprised? Are they back on board? Were they not on board? How do you define what's going on in the community around the Colts? Well, I mean, certainly when it happened, it took, you know, it took the entire community by storm. I mean, it happened on a Saturday evening. Um you know, I don't want to rehash everything, but it, it wasn't planned to go out. It wasn't planned to happen that night. We actually had a preseason game against the Bears. It came out during the game, and then it was just, you know, the the I've never seen, you know, words start to spread throughout a stadium to the point where, I mean, no one was really paying attention to the game. Everybody was just on their phone. It was like a gigantic game of telephone, um, just trying to stay on top of the news. But, um, you know, shortly after that, you know, I've just, I've just been really impressed with the, the short amount of time in which it took the Colts and the players in the locker room, the entire organization to say, okay, it, it happened. Um, there was a lot of things that led to uh, Andrew Luck getting to this point where he wants to decide that football is not in his best interest anymore. And that's okay. Let's, let's roll. He's not coming back. Uh, we wish him the best, and, and we, we want him to be happy and healthy on, on several different levels. But at the same point, Jacoby Brissett's a pretty darn good football player. He's a pretty smart quarterback. And this team is has more depth, and it's better suited to compete now for the long term than it has in the last 15 years because of the way they're building it. They're drafting well. They're developing guys. They're saving their money. They're being prudent in free agency. Um, they're just trying to build from within and re-sign and reward guys that do it the right way. So there's more depth on this team right now than there has been in the recent past. And that's why I think they're still in a good position. Obviously, they're 3-2. and two. At this point last year, they were 1-5. and five, So they're obviously off to a much better start uh, now than they did last year, and they still made the playoffs a season ago. So that's why the optimism and the, the fan support has really never wavered. Um, of course, when Andrew Luck retired, it was, uh, you know, the, the, the local radio station was live and local for, you know, four or five straight days. It didn't take a break from the topic. And I totally understand that. It was an unprecedented thing and maybe the top sports storyline to, uh, to ever happen in this market. But football players, as you know, Mark, they, they crave normalcy. They crave routine. So they just wanted to get back to that as quickly as possible. And they've been able to kind of compartmentalize um, with everything that's happened this season. And to be honest with you, I mean, that was only about a month and a half ago. But in the grand scheme of things, there's a lot that's happened since then. It, it feels like an eternity uh, since Andrew Luck has you know, decided to retire. And um, it, just, it just feels like it was so long ago 
um, and kind of out of sight, out of mind right now in terms of the narrative and the storyline of this Colts season. Very well put. I said to you in a text, I think, the season goes at warp speed for those mm-hmm. involved directly, and it seems like a lot of time has passed, and the Colts certainly have a new identity. Matt, thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. My pleasure, Mark. Safe travels. That's a great dude right there, but hopefully Sunday he's experiencing an L at Lucas Oil Stadium. Matt Taylor, voice of the Annapolis Colts. Now, I said a little while ago that on Sunday I get a chance to spend time with Mark Vandermeer and our game analyst Andre Ware. We're going to hear from Dre next right here on Texans All Access. This week's Stats Challenge is brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexas.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. Now, there are plenty of stats from this past game with the Kansas City Chiefs that blew my mind. Let's see, where do you want to start? You want to start with Brian Anger with zero points in the day? That's a pretty good one. How about the fact that the Texans gave up zero sacks on the day? That was pretty nice. How about then, we'll go with this last one. I like this last one. The Texans' time of possession over 40 Minutes, nearly 40 minutes, sorry. 39-48 to the Chiefs, 20-12. That is amazing. I mean, they're just, they're such good stats in this game. The Texans had 35 first downs. They had 472 total yards to the Chiefs, 309. The Chiefs were averaging, I think, four, gosh, I can't remember what the number was. It was a gargantuan amount. They're averaging 355 through the air, and they had a total of 309. So Texas defense got it done. Offense got it done. Everybody got it done. I would tell you Brian Anger got it done, but he didn't even punt. That's a good day. Now calling the action Sunday and every Sunday for the Houston Texans is Mark Vandermeer and our game analyst and good friend Andre Ware. Mark caught up with Dre earlier today. Good times last couple of games. Two wins in a row. Looking for three at Indy this weekend. What's changed for you? What do you think is better for this football team in the last couple of weeks? Well, I think any time you get uh, the the type of offensive line play that that uh, we're getting, that that affects everything. And being able that coupled with getting to the quarterback, maybe not so much sacking the quarterback, but just forcing the ball out of his hands quickly, uh, you marriage those two things together, and uh, and I think you get you get what uh, the you get the results the Texans have had in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think with the offensive line, what are your thoughts on the way they've been able to run the football? All but one game, and that was a win against the Chargers on the road. They've been able to run the football pretty well, and if you told me they were going to do that with Lamar Miller out for the year and the way camp began, you thought Deontay Foreman would figure into the mix somehow. These guys are doing a good job, Hyde and Duke Johnson. Yeah, they really are, and it's because holes are there to run through. Uh, I think when you start an offensive line – start to put it together the fastest way that they that you develop continuity within the within that that group is just allowing the fire off the football and that's when an offensive line is having fun if you're initiating contact rather than waiting on somebody to come to you and having their pass protect it also makes uh, pass protection a lot easier because guys aren't just firing up the field they have to defend the run first and then approach the quarterback so you got you're giving yourself an extra split second or so uh, in in terms of pass protection. So I think one is is certainly uh, goes hand in hand with the other. 
You know, it's a great point you make because that's what the Colts did last year, right, with those two rookie linemen. And early on, they were doing a lot of passing. And then Frank Reich got down with the running game, and that really helped open things up for the passing game. What about this team, though, Dre? They do run the football well, the Colts. Is it Mac? Is it the line? It's a combination, right? Yeah, I I happen to think it's one of the best lines in, in all of football. And they're, they're young, so it's going to grow together. But, uh, you know, when you get Marlon Mack going and, and, and the other backs that they have behind a very talented offensive line, they, that, that takes a lot of pressure off Jacoby Brissett to not have to win games uh, with his arm. They're going to they're gonna be in a lot of close games because of the way that they play, but uh, because of the style of play in which they, they use. But they've been they've been affected to the tune of three games, and you could argue that the uh, they lost an open overtime game to start the season, and, and close them in just about all of them. It could have gone either way, but that's just how the Colts are built this year. He is a guy, Jacoby Brissett, that's going to take care of the football. Uh, very smart, got all the reps in the, throughout the off season, and uh, and he's playing with a lot of confidence. So you mix that with a, a running game and the defense. That uh, that they have and the way they're playing defensively, it's uh, it, it's a it makes for a good football team. Well, if it weren't the Colts, the Texans' nemesis, I think the Jacoby Brissett story would be a feel good story all around the league. But certainly, it's not here in Houston because the Colts are a major factor in this thing. But it is a nice story for Brissett, the fact that he's been able to play at a pretty high level with Andrew Luck retiring a couple of weeks before the season started. Yeah, I mean. Uh... <clears throat> I don't know that they could have gotten a better uh, anyone better in there in terms of being able to handle that type of situation. He's a very mature young man. I think when Andrew Andrew Luck was there, he understood his place, but he pre- he prepared himself like he was going to be the starter uh, each and every week. And that's just talking to folks around the NFL and how he carries himself as a professional. He was he was always ready to play. So when it happened with with Luck. He was ready to step in, and I think you're seeing uh, exactly how he's playing, taking care of the football, very knowledgeable of what Frank Reich wants done offensively, and and uh, he's got a lot of help and a lot of weapons around him. Andre Ware joining us on Texans Radio. Andre, when the Raiders beat the Colts at their place this year, they ran the ball for over 180 yards, so not a shocker that the Texans are going to feature this in their game plan in all likelihood. Yeah, I think that's probably part of the game plan. This might be the quickest or one of the fastest games that you and I have uh, have had a chance to broadcast because of the styles that are meeting, so to speak. And and uh, they get Darius Leonard back. That's going to help a lot in terms of their run defense. I think another defensive back, maybe a safety, is coming back from injury uh, this week as well. But And that's, that's certainly going to help what they do in terms of their overall defensive package. So it won't be quite as easy. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as easy as it was last week in, in terms of being able to run the football against the way you ran it against Kansas City. This is a good, sound, young defensive group that uh, that's going to continue to get better. Uh, they they have a nice influx of uh, of some veterans sprinkled with uh, some uh, second, third year players. A very young group that uh, that that bodes well for them. Andre Ware joining us. Dre, Ryan Tannehill is now the starting quarterback in Nashville for the Tennessee Titans. Your thoughts on that move by that franchise? Yeah, I think they're looking for a spark and, and just weren't getting an inconsistent play at that spot for some time with Marcus Mariota, whether it's been through injuries, whether it's been through 
uh, injuries around him, so on and so forth. But he'd be, you know, Tennessee would look like they were ready to turn the corners, and then he would have one of his games, and and they would take a step back. So uh, he kind of saw this one coming. Uh, it's ironic that you know both guys were first round picks, and Tannehill stepping in, who looked good in the preseason uh, for for Tennessee, that uh, so much so that they have. Uh, no reservations about installing him as as the starter. So I think when you look at it, does the team respond? I think they they very well might because they're looking for different results as they work hard each and every week to prepare for games on Sunday. What do you think of that Jalen Ramsey trade? As Ramsey leaves the Jags and goes to the Rams, and the Jags get a couple of number one draft choices out of the deal. Well, I'll tell you what, the Rams aren't afraid to uh, to spend money and. And, uh, and and do what what people think that they would be a little bit apprehensive of doing. They they would do it like in Dominican Sue last year. Everybody thought that oh he might be a problem this that and the other, and, and he ends up there and, and played very well for him. So uh, I like the aggressive style in which uh, they run their personnel department, and and uh, it was just sooner or later it was going to have to come to a head. Ramsey was finding reasons not to be on the field. Uh, I guess the last game was his back and. I'm sure he'll be just fine this week. And when his back will have healed up and he'll be in the lineup for the Rams. But uh, almost to a, to, a, to a lesser degree, kind of glad to have him out of the division because he's one of the better cover men in the, in the entire league. So uh, he'll, uh, we'll, we'll see him every once in a while with the Rams. But uh, it's good to get him out of the division where we don't see him twice, twice a year. All right, Dre, I'm going to throw a curveball, pardon the pun, at you because the baseball playoffs in full swing, ALCS, Astros and Yankees going at it. You played this game and you were actually drafted, but let me throw this one at you. Baseball is, and I was talking to Bill O'Brien about this, it's so stressful, the amount of time between the pitches, the pressure on some of these pitches. What are your thoughts, having played quarterback at such a high level, what are your thoughts on what the pitcher is going through mentally when he's trying to get a really tough out on the mound? Uh, it's, you know, you can, pitchers are wired a little differently. Some are, some are calm. It's like playing quarterback. It's a good parallel. Because some are very calm and even keel, and you're just trying to, to, uh, to get from pitch to pitch, work the strike zone, knowing uh, the scouting report on each and every batter, what, one guy doesn't like as opposed to the next guy that you're going to face and you're just taking them one by one just like as a quarterback you know you can't get too high when you when you throw touchdown passes you can't get too low when you throw an interception but uh it it just takes a finite skill of just going from one to the next putting pitches together uh do you have your best stuff that day trying to find what what what's working today uh because very rarely and I'll even throw another parallel in golf. It's like very rarely do you have all components working together, your drive, your short game, your irons, and and, uh, and your putter working together. It's about two weeks out of the year is how I like to, to uh, yeah. kind of analogize that. But with a pitcher, it's that way sometimes. Some games you're going to have it all, and some games you're going to have uh, two out of three pitches or maybe one out of the three that you got to lean on. You just got to find ways to get guys out but the the uh, the overall common thread is just you have to remain calm and in the moment every pitch matters i must not be playing golf during the two weeks out of the year where i have everything together <laughs> I'm, I'm missing those weeks dre <laughs> darn it <laughs> i miss them too man <laughs> i trust me i miss them that's going on in november and i'm not playing darn it okay one more for you where are you at in college football this week 
Headed up to Cincinnati, Cincinnati and Tulsa, who uh, just almost took down an undefeated uh, SMU team uh, a couple of weeks oh, ago. Oh, yeah. And uh, played very well in a, in a triple overtime game that uh, was eventually lost. But they're headed up to Cincinnati, a, a, a team that's 5-1, and one, playing real well, and, and has got a chance to really uh, run the table. The only loss, an ugly loss, to Ohio State. But in, in my mind, I think Ohio State might be the best team in the country right now uh you know how i feel about bye weeks and they had a bye week last week uh we'll see if they can ramp it up and get themselves going again but before that bye week i I don't know that there was anybody in the country that was playing any better football than ohio state that's that's the only loss on the cincinnati schedule uh luke fickle has done an outstanding job now in his third year there so my second trip there looking forward to it i know where all the good food is so uh i'll be visiting a couple of restaurants there well, you could almost drive to Indy from there. I mean, yeah, yeah, I could, but uh, but you won't. <laughs> when the game's over and I'm mentally worn down, I'm going to get in uh, a, a, the a seat and let a pilot fly me in and and make my way to the hotel that night. All right, very good. Thanks for joining us, my friend, and safe travels. All right, appreciate it, man. Thanks. I don't know how he does it each every weekend. He's a warrior, man. Holy smokes, Andre Ware joining us on the show. All right, it's time for our in the lab crew. To take a deep dive into what you saw on Sunday against Kansas City and our cream of the crop players. We'll do that next on Texans All Access. One final segment of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you. It's time for the In the Lab crew to step up to the plate. And, well, I'll let Drew tell you what's on the menu tonight. What we're going to do is look back and cover the stat, basically my favorite stat of the week. I'll have one, you have one. Oh, okay. We'll each have a cream of the crop of the week. Yep. And I'm going to start with my favorite stat because I don't want you to steal it. Okay, go. Because there's lots of good stats from this there game are a lot that of we good just saw. from this one. But you know what my favorite one was? Okay. Two quarterback hits absorbed by Deshaun Watson and zero, zero sacks. Yep. Zero for the second straight week in a row. That's nice. I like that because what had we seen two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Deshaun was getting hit. Deshaun was getting hit at a pace that was a little bit ahead of last year's, yeah. which was pretty bad at points. He scaled that back. The pass protection scaled that back. The offensive line has scaled that back. I think throughout this season, the offensive line has played pretty darn well. Yeah, it has. I think Deshaun's switched some things, and, and this offense has switched some things, and they're getting the ball to different guys out a little bit quicker, and I love Love, love what I've seen. And remind, and, and keep in mind, John, that's an offensive line that lost its starting right tackle and Titus Howard in the middle yes. of it all. And what happened? Roderick Johnson came in and played pretty capably. And you pointed this out. He knocked Tyron Matthew on his pocket watch there, to put it in old-timery terms. He almost knocked him into the passing lane. Yeah, on that fourth and three conversion yeah. in which Hop got the bullet from Deshaun Watson. But above all, I love that number four is not getting hit, staying clean. Yeah. And it's it's probably going to change a little bit this week because facing a different set of defenses, but that's what I love over the last game. What's your favorite stat? Boy, there there are a bunch of them. There there are a bunch of like, and I don't. They're they're kind of stats and and man, I, there's so many ways to go. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to hear about Brian Anger having played nine years in the NFL and never <laughs> played a game in which he never punted? He's the Maytag repairman the last two weeks. He punted on that first drive a week ago yeah. against the Falcons, and he hasn't punted since. 19 drives. Yeah. 
He hasn't punted. 19 consecutive drives. Now, that's not always good because you turned it over sure. three times against the Chiefs, but Brian Anger did not punt. You want that one? That's a good one. Uh, that's a good one. Here's another one. Go ahead, drive. Mm-hmm. 93-yard drive. I know where you're going with this. I think it was 12 plays, 93 yards. How many third-down conversions did they have on that drive? Goose egg, and think about how rare, how rare that is. Right. And no, why, They didn't face third down right. a single exactly. time. That is rare, They John. did not have a third-down conversion on that drive because they didn't get to third down. We were just gobbling up yards. I mean, just taking chunks of yards. That was that to me was the, the That's astounding. Here's my last one, Drew. The fourth and three conversion mm-hmm. at the end. It turned into a fourth and three conversion because I'm third and one. Texans tried to hammer Carlos Hyde in there and they tackled him. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was Agua maybe that had gotten the They did a good job bottling yeah, him. Yeah, they bottled him up. That was right at the two minute warning, right? Mm-hmm. That was the only, only negative yardage play the Texans allowed in the game, and right. it came at the two-minute warning. Now, there were penalties, yeah, but that's the only right. time they, they, they had a clean play that didn't go for positive yardage. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just incredible to think about no negative plays all game long, and it shows. Now, I say no negative, no negative yardage plays. Right. Because right. they had negative plays because Deshaun threw, unfortunately, the two interceptions, and yep. they had to fumble on the first play. Right. I think that shows you how good the offense was. Mm-hmm. You and I talk about this all the time. Turnover margin. If I had said going in, you're going to be down 17-3, you will lose the turnover battle. You're going to hold that L. You're going to get blown out by about 12 points, John. That's what I would have said. Here's the flip side. Not a, you won by seven, but you could have won by A much more. You could have scored almost 50 mm-hmm. because you missed a field goal and an extra point. That's four points. Hop drops a touchdown. That's yep. right. I mean, he was outside the goal. He was outside the, like the two yard line, but he probably powers in. Yeah. If He's not, human. it gets it down to the two yard line. It's still to me the weirdest thing I've I've seen because you so we so rarely see him ever do that. And it ha- I mean, it happens. It, that goes to show you it happens to the great ones. He yep. just but he got it back. And then Will had three opportunities. And I know people say, "Oh, he dropped him. He dropped him." Those are all really hard catches because right. when you run as fast as Will does and the ball is – you're tracking up, that is so hard to do. Yeah. But I, there's one of them I think Will would tell you, yeah, that I definitely should have had that one. If he makes one of those. So let's say Will catches one, Hop catches his. You add the four points from the field goal and the extra point. I'll do the math for you. That's 18 points plus 31. That's 49 points. Yeah. Now, the game probably – Shakes out a little bit differently with Think each so. of those, but you're right. Think they so. had lots of opportunities, and that's that's why Bill O'Brien, he's never going to be rah rah after a pre, after a right. game or during a press conference. But that's why he's pointing out, yes, we did some good things, yes, we won, but there's still a lot to clean up. There's still a lot to improve upon, and, yep. and you understand why. Now, I'm proud of you and me, because or you and I. God, sorry if that uh, English teacher's out there. Sorry about proud that. Proud of I, no, you and me. Proud of us because. We didn't say, and we could have, and we would have been fine saying it, but we didn't say the time of possession. That was a big deal. Right. Uh, nobody's ever gone into Arrowhead and had a time of possession against the Chiefs like that. Wow. 
And a lot of people say, well, that's the way, that's the blueprint for beating the Chiefs is to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field and hold the ball for 39 minutes and change. You're going to beat anybody if you play like that. Yeah, true. It doesn't matter who the hell you're going to – as long as you do that – if you And if, you're scoring at the end of it, and yeah. You, and you stay cleaner with the ball, you're going to yeah. win, okay? Yeah. Like, that's a blueprint for beating anybody, anybody. not just Patrick Mahomes and the Chief, Chiefs. But uh, that was awesome, too. That was a good – we'll make that our honorable mention staff. Well, here was my honorable – here, here's what I would have thrown in there. How many offensive plays – the Chiefs run in the fourth quarter, four. Right, yeah. You you basically double for how many yards for what minus minus three. Yeah, yeah. They ended up with a total of two yards because there was a five yard penalty on an offside. That was it. And they had the only two punts in the game, also in that, that in the fourth, fourth quarter. quarter. Yep, it is a it. remarkable performance by the defense, and probably they don't get enough credit because last week they got held the Chiefs to thirteen points. It's the worst output offensively as a team that. Kansas City's had when Patrick Mahomes has started. Right. Second worst, what we just saw on Sunday, yep. 24. So, good job. Kudos to the Texans. All right, time for cream of the crop. Ooh. I'm going to go obvious here. I'm not going not to pull any punches. Carlos Hyde, man. Okay. I mean, he, he came in. Okay. He said, I, wanna, I, want, I want this one more than others, understandably so. He didn't get much time with Kansas City. It was basically the spring and the summer, and then he got traded for Martinez Rankin, who wound up starting in the game. Mm-hmm. Carlos ran, man, and Carlos ran with anger. Yes, it's a good way of putting it. With production, averaged four and a half yards per, finished with 116. And what I like most, he ran it 26 times. That meant you yep. were you had opportunities, and you kept giving it to him and giving it to him and giving it to him. And he gets the score on the ground. It's all part of a 41 attempt, 41 rushes for 192 yards. Output. I love it. Carlos Hyde's my cream of the crop. Wow, that's pretty good. That's really, really good. My cream of the crop might be a little bit surprising, but I am I'm gonna give a little thumbs up and a thanks here to Brian Baldinger. Okay. Baldy did the game on radio, national radio. Mm-hmm. He didn't do the TV game. That was uh Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts. But Baldy did the game uh for national radio. So I saw him down on the field. I don't know him, but I saw him down on the field, and he was taking a lot of videos and doing a lot of talking. I mean, Baldy's gets the whole social media mm-hmm. thing. I mean, good for a guy that's his Baldy's breakdowns are awesome. Yeah, if his, you're not following him on Twitter, well, go do it. That's where I'm going. Because I felt like this during the game, and I want to make sure that I talk this guy up because I agree with Baldy. I feel like he's the best left tackle in the game. I feel like he is, at that point, the best offensive lineman in the game. And what ends up happening is when you're that good at that particular job, people forget about you. Mm-hmm. We talk about Deshaun, and we talk about Hop, and we talk about Carlos, and we talk about well, the fancy stats and stuff. And it kind of goes part and parcel with what you said early on about zero sacks. But when you watch Laramie Tunsil work on the left side, and you see what he's doing and how good he is and taking pass rushers and just negating what it is that they do well, long, you know, long arm. He's facing long arm guys. He's facing stronger guys. He's mm-hmm. facing quicker guys. He's facing all these different kind of guys, and he is just completely and totally shutting them down. Mm-hmm. And Baldy put together a film clip, and it's easy when you're and, and I find myself during games wanting to watch Laramie more than I do because I'm, but I'm trying to follow the ball if there's penalties and things like that so I can tell Mark so. I want to watch him because I think he is the best at what it is that he does. He's phenomenal. 
Hey, my but, cream of the crop is Laramie Tunsil, left tackle. But, 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 John, the Texans gave up too much to get him. You shouldn't have given up all that draft capital. They can kiss my you-know-what. <laughs> I you thought find, that. you find a guy like that. Yes. And you can. You only have to give up two ones for him. I mean, I mean Drew, here's, here's, my, here's my thought. I've been thinking about this for a little while. I, I watched the Browns, and I watched the Browns struggle. Baker Mayfield struggling. He's throwing a lot of interceptions. He's not been protected. Mm-hmm. And the Browns made a huge move in the offseason trading now it wasn't as much but they traded and they only traded for one guy they traded for Odell Beckham Jr. but they gave up a first rounder and more for Odell Beckham Jr. but the thing is they didn't really need a receiver no the receiver wasn't really going to help them you need to help protect but, your quarterback but Drew after it happened John Dorsey was put up on his pedestal like this is how you GM yeah. this is what you do mm-hmm. and then when the deal was made. Bill O'Brien is like, oh, he doesn't understand how to do this. He gave up too much. But it's like we talk about this a lot on the radio and, and, and talk about this in social media and people talk about this all the time on TV shows. Like what would you give up for the best at a key position in the NFL? The Texans gave up a lot, but they got back in return potentially the best left tackle in the NFL. Like what would you give up for Deshaun Watson? Draft capital. I mean, what would Desha- if the Texans had – Hey, we're open to trading Deshaun. Oh my God! I mean, you'd, you'd give up your next three drafts, and that's the thing. Would you give up more? Uh, probably, probably. If you had Deshaun Watson right now, avail. I, and I don't, I'm not out. No, I know he's ours. But you just we love it. We don't yeah. want him going anywhere. But you're just talking about worth and value. Yes. And I yes. mean, absolutely. There's no question to get a guy like that. And, and Baldy said something in his breakdown. I, I thought was just it speaks to this point about Deshaun too. He said, Laramie Tunsil is helping to make Deshaun Watson better. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole goal. That was the whole goal. And you know Not who- just for this year, but for years going forward. You didn't get Trent Williams at the age of 32 and he might play for a couple of years. You got Laramie Tunsil at 25 freaking years old. You know who else he's making better? Max Sharpick. Yeah, exactly. And who's, who's Max Sharpick? He's a really good, really, really, really good, good college rope. left tackle. Yes. So you've kicked him inside the left guard. Right. He's playing competently so far. Right. That that's You're looking at a, a, a cornerstone, the left side of your line, right. for a long, long time. Right. And I know, like you said about the, the Panthers game a few weeks ago, people were saying, well, wait a second, you're talking about these offensive line. Well, the Panthers, they had nah, like that's five a, That's a damn good defense. That's, that's a, a it's defense. a really good defense. Yeah. B, it's a really smart defense. And C... Of those sacks, everybody in the building, including Deshaun Watson, have said the majority of those, if not all of those, were on me. Yeah. So from that perspective, you, you take the man at his worth. But Baldy said, and I thought it was dead on, he's like, Laramie Tunsil is making Deshaun better. Deshaun gets more comfortable. He goes through his reads. And then when that all happens, the game slows down for him, and he's just picking people apart at that point. It gets more difficult this week against the Colts. But taking a left tackle in there like Laramie Tunsil, I will feel that much more confident in what this offense can do because he's over there at left tackle. If you would like to hear the full In the Lab podcast, go to iTunes, go to HoustonTexas.com, go to our Twitter feeds, at Football at Doherty Drew, and you can pick up the full In the Lab podcast right there. A big thanks to everybody for participating on the show. DP Sidhu, Andrew Walker, Clint Sterner, Matt Taylor, Mark Vandermeer, Andre Ware, Drew Doherty. To all of you for listening, we will see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.